You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman. Not joined by Frank Madden tonight. And unfortunately for Frank, uh, I spoke to him before the game and he was in transit back to Austin. He was uh, on the road and I don't think he was even going to get to watch this game live, which uh, is a shame because it was a fun one. So you guys probably already know who I've got. He's still a fire serve uh, for him. So you're going to hear some... As we as last time, probably people trying to pack up the arena while Justin is is hanging out for us. But uh, Justin Garcia is back. Thanks for uh, jumping on, mate. Because this one, this was a fun game. Yeah, I saw too. A handful of people were missing this game for Star Wars too. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That which is, you know, I mean, if you bought those tickets early, like I get it. I'm not really a Star Wars fan, so I don't really care. But uh, you know, you. I don't know. You got to look ahead. You got to look ahead to these things, particularly with the Bucks playing as well as they are. But seriously, it is. As I'm recording this right now, it's four o'clock in the afternoon over in in Australia, and it's 115 degrees outside. I am absolutely sweating my ass off recording this. But as hot as it is here, I don't think it was as hot as Giannis's three point shooting tonight uh, against the Lakers. This was this was the all around performance from him, and I thought during the game. Yeah, maybe we could talk about some of the other guys because there was contributors right up and down the board. But we have to start with Giannis. 34 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, career high, 5 three-point makes. Uh, he was spectacular again. He uh, Well, and I mean, just as big was we, we got Giannis winking. You had uh, – it, it seemed like in the second half especially, he was seeking out Anthony Davis and wanted the pull-ups right yeah. in front of Anthony Davis. And we saw more join – between Giannis and AD as he was running down the floor. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time talking about Christmas Day for uh, that matchup with the Bucks and Sixers and the, the building rivalry there is there and knowing that's on the national stage and what that's going to mean. But we kind of glossed over this where you knew, yeah, it's, it's a big game. It's on TNT. And, you know, in terms of the two teams' records, this is one of the biggest games we've seen in the NBA since who knows when. Um, but you know, you for, I guess you shouldn't have forgotten, but it was easy to just look past the whole, everything into this with the torch passing moment with Giannis against another Los Angeles team with Giannis on the national stage that we've seen how much he thrives in those spots. And, and, you know, tonight may have been the best game of his career. Honestly, I know he has scored more, but the three point shooting that you talked about and another near triple double and everything he did. Even bigger that I'm sure we'll get to is the way he played contained within himself too. Once he got that fourth foul, yeah, no question. And we just got uh, just as I was uh, listening to what you were saying right there, I got uh, a question through on Twitter from uh, Anna Scrobus has just asked, 
are LeBron Giannis right in saying that this, these types of games are not special at all? And you sort of pointed to it. And I think it's very obvious when you look at Giannis, he's always this intense character. And, and you see stuff like last week where against Memphis where he's still holding grudges from a game at the World Cup in September against a guy that's on the you know, fringe rotation guy in the NBA. But you're right. He steps up in these moments and he might say the right things to the media and say, oh, this game doesn't mean all that much. But you know it does to him inside. He's the ultimate competitor. He loves going up against the best. And I think that's the great thing about Giannis. That's exactly why uh, he is right now. I mean, tonight just uh, cemented that for mine. I mean, he is the, the MVP runaway favorite right now. And he steps up to the challenge and he doesn't go into his shell. He doesn't shy away from uh, going one-on-one on LeBron or one-on-one at AD. You mentioned it multiple times. He sized up AD and said, I'm a shooter now. I'm going to hit this shot. This pull-up three has been a consistent shot for me over the last couple of months. I feel confident in the big moments in the fourth quarter. I don't care. I feel I can hit that. And then also we saw him go at LeBron off the dribble and get to the rack a couple of times. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's, I don't know if you can say he's at the peak of his powers because he just keeps on getting better. But right now, I mean, this is his league at the moment. And you saw that tonight. Well, I mean, he told us over the summer he was 60% of the way there. So, I mean, if nothing else, we've seen he's 80% of the way there just by what he's done uh, this season. And this game was just – it was so strange in the way that it started where you got the sense that both of these teams, for all the talk of, hey, it's just another game, both of these teams knew this is a big game, and they were kind of feeling each other out early on. And then as we've seen so many times, the Bucs, their defense and their bench just started to take over. They build up that lead in the second quarter. Um, but this was weird to me in that LeBron James quietly had a triple-double. But this was a weird LeBron game where we have seen so many times at the Bradley Center, LeBron coming to town with the Heat or the Cavs and, and torment the Bucs. I never really felt like that in this game. And a lot of that is a credit to the job Wesley Matthews did. But it was uh, Anthony Davis and Danny Green that were the best players on the floor for the Lakers. And, you know, LeBron, you certainly always have that fear in the back of your mind of a vintage LeBron deep pull-up three or something to spark the team. But I just never got that sense that, that he was able to get going or in the game tonight that you were most worried about Danny Green for most of the time. All right, so that, that's, let's move on to Wes Matthews because uh, I think that, I mean, he played such a vital role in this game. And it's interesting you bring up LeBron hitting these deep threes or pulling up or feeling like, you know, that inevitability that when you play LeBron that, okay, eventually he's going to decide in the fourth quarter, I can beat you. And you're right, that did not happen tonight. But there was a stretch with around five minutes to go where LeBron gets a really tough bank shot to, to roll in that brings the Lakers within 94-103. George Hill misses a layup. Thought he should have been fouled. Hill was still on the ground. So he was... So essentially, the Lakers had an opportunity to play a bit of five on four. LeBron pulls up for a transition three. And as the ball was in the air, I was like, well, here we go. This is it. This, this is going to be a, a really tough stretch now with, with five minutes to go. He misses that. And then Wes Matthews hits that deep three to give the Bucks the 106-94 lead. And for mine, that was the backbreaker in the fourth quarter. If LeBron hits that, it's a two-possession game. you still got five minutes left. We know that while LeBron's in foul trouble, Giannis is certainly in foul trouble himself with five fouls at the time. So, uh, yeah, he didn't hit that shot, but uh, he was still threatening there in, in the fourth quarter, but it never actually happened. No, I, I remember that play as well and, and having the same thoughts. If he's 
how many times have we seen LeBron make this, this exact shot in this exact moment in his career where it's going to be a six-point game all of a sudden, and then it's a really, really tested. Um, but when the shot didn't fall, I was a little surprised. But the job that Wesley Matthews did all, se- all night, I should say, all season too for that matter, um, you know, I, I still – Wesley Matthews and – Brooke Lopez, I think you and I have talked about this, is playing better defensively than he did last season. And we're probably not noting that just because the shots aren't falling for him. But Wesley Matthews and what he's done defensively for this team, you think about the defensive matchups he's had. And last year we talked about this with Eric Bledsoe. But this year, it's been Wes. If it was the opening night game with James Harden, and we think about the big game against the Clippers uh, and defending Kawhi. And at the times that Wesley Matthews was defending him, you barely notice Kawhi on the floor. You could say the same tonight for LeBron, and it really looked like in the first half there was a stretch where Wes was on him. He left the game. Sterling Brown came in, and he wasn't quite as effective. But what he was effective at was it seemed like those two really irritated LeBron and kind of threw him off from the start. That There was one uh, out of a timeout, I remember, in the second quarter where LeBron just seemed like he had had it with that duo. And you could sense he was off that night. Today's podcast is brought to you by Casper. Casper is the original mattress that combines multiple supportive memory phones for a quality sleep service with the right amounts of sync and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL and using locked NBA at the checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit casper.com right now, you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Yeah, Wes Matthews, right from the start, he was chipping with Dwight Howard a little bit um, in the first quarter, and then we saw them have a couple of sort of little little incidents through the game. Wes Matthews was fired up for this, and I think that he is really enjoying the defensive challenge that Bud is giving him. We've seen him play uh, extended stretches on James Harden through the year, Kawhi Leonard as well, and now LeBron. So... Uh, Wes Matthews, for, for all we spoke about his defensive abilities and, and what has he still got in the tank at 33 years old, uh, Bud doesn't seem too worried at all because he's getting all those challenges. And I think what I really love, this is what I really love about putting Wes Matthews on these guys is, uh, tonight obviously it's a little bit different because the Lakers have Anthony Davis who uh, is going to attract a lot of attention from Giannis, obviously. And that's really the guy that you have to put on Davis. And the concern with that is obviously going to be foul trouble and even though there were some questionable calls, we saw Giannis in foul trouble. And that's the concern when he has to defend a guy like Anthony Davis. But the Lakers, you don't really have a choice. That's what you have to go with. But with Brooke Lopez still there, to me, it seemed that even if LeBron was able to get a step ahead of Wes Matthews or Sterling Brown or get into that point in the paint, he looked up and saw Brooke Lopez and he didn't really want to go there. He didn't look like he wanted to try and finish around him, over him, or, or try and score against Brooke Lopez. And that's the impact he's having. And when you looked at that game a couple of nights ago where the Bucks lost, and me and Frank spent a lot of time talking about the penetration the guards were able to get, it just seemed like a different Bucks uh, defense. It wasn't as organized as we've seen in the past. Lopez only played 20 minutes against the Mavericks tonight. Uh, he plays 32 and uh, you know, really anchored that defense again, as he has done all season. And even though the Lakers ended up winning the points in the paint battle 42 to a really low 34 for Milwaukee, I felt really comfortable with, with the way this defense forced the Lakers uh, to take outside shots. They had 35 threes, which is well above their season average. And LeBron in particular, 
if he's like forced to to get the ball out of his hands and pass out to the Lakers shooters, which they don't really have, Danny Green obviously had a good night. I'm feeling like that's a win. You know, on on, on my show after the game, our question was who had the biggest impact on the game for the Bucks, and what 98% of the time the answer is going to be Giannis, but yeah. because of what George Hill did, especially in the first half with his 21 in the game and 15 of those came in the first half, and what Wesley Matthews did, what we just talked about him doing, I mean, I, those guys had an equally big impact on the game. But we had somebody call in and, and nominate Brooke Lopez, too. And I thought this yeah. was a quiet, good game for Brooke where oftentimes we just get so hung up on why aren't the shots falling for Brooke. And I think it was 0-3 tonight. Um, but he had that stretch in the third quarter where Giannis yep. wasn't on the floor and we saw them go to Brooke Lopez and, and say when Giannis and Chris were both out with four fouls, it was Brooke Lopez that was carrying the offense there. And four steals and three block shots that, you know, those kind of snuck up on you. And then in the first half, he was really making life difficult for Anthony Davis. I thought that there was a couple of plays. One, I know he was called for a foul on, but he had a clean block on him as well. Where to your point of it seemed like the Lakers just didn't want to attack him all night, that ultimately the second half, it was the mid-range and those floaters that got Anthony Davis going, but they weren't attacking the basket. No, not at all. And yeah, I mean, you, you pointed to it there. I mean, Anthony Davis did have a big second half and he got to the free throw line a lot. But even in that case, a lot of that was Davis putting the ball on the floor and getting those fouls on the dribble. He got a lot of those sort of continuation calls tonight or what would have been continuation if, if he makes the shot. Um, some strange calls. It seemed to be uh, a pretty good whistle for, for Davis in the second half, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, certainly not any concerns from the Bucks defensively with LeBron. The only time that he really got to the basket was when he genuinely was able to get downhill. Uh, anytime the Bucks had the Lakers in the half court, he seemed uh, to be nullified. And the Lakers don't have good spacing with their offense. And, and we yeah. saw that a lot tonight where you just felt comfortable that the Bucks were either going to force them into a tough shot or they were going to get their hands in the passing lane. And if you look down the box score, the steals uh, column is incredible. Giannis yeah. had, had the one steal, but you mentioned Brook Lopez had four. Two steals for Wesley Matthews, Dante DiVincenzo, Sterling Brown, Ersan Uisova had two steals, and Kyle Korver had that, that really important one of his own where he, where he dove on the floor for the ball. So 14 steals for uh, the Bucks, And irrespective of the result, because in the, in the grand scheme of things, it you know, whatever, a win or, or a loss here, I think you saw enough positive things within the matchups of the Lakers to feel pretty good. Uh, about this one moving forward but uh, this to me and it's going to be interesting to see not to look ahead we want to stay with this game but with the Sixers to me they're a very similar team as the Lakers where when I was looking at the spacing on the floor I was like if you don't space the floor against this Bucks team they've got too many active hands too many long uh, arms on defense they're going to cause havoc and and I did really think particularly in the first half before Davis did get going with all those foul calls uh, the Lakers just looked frustrated and a little bit confused on on what they should be doing and, well, I guess the, the primary difference, too, is the Lakers at least have Danny Green. I don't know who that yeah. guy is for the Sixers. I have, you know, I've seen a couple of Lakers games this season, but I haven't seen as many as even Clippers games I saw before the Bucks matchup with the Clippers. I just know early on in the season uh, the Lakers bench was one of the best in the league. And watching tonight's game, I keep going back to that and thinking, how is that the case? Four points from their bench tonight. Their bench was brutal tonight, and you know Avery Bradley is a couple of steps slow now. Rajon Rondo, I thought, was 
he was just absolutely a killer for the Lakers offensively and defensively. The Bucks picked on him, but offensively you saw his limitations where the 24-second clock violation on the play where you have to put him out on the perimeter for spacing and he refuses to take an outside shot that you, know, you touched on the bench play. It's Dwight Howard was really the only guy that gave them any type of production tonight. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the key stretch for the Bucks, 746 uh, left in the third quarter. Giannis picks up his fourth foul, or he picked up his fourth foul a little bit earlier than that, actually, but Bud kept him in, and then I think thought, uh, you know, holy shit, we better get this guy out in case he gets his fifth, because um, then we're in big trouble. But the Bucks were leading 74 to 58 with 746 left in the third when Giannis goes out. The Lakers were only able to cut six points off that lead in what was essentially the, the rest of the quarter. Giannis came in with 44 seconds left. So that seven-minute-plus stretch with Giannis on the bench in the third quarter and Chris Middleton, who also had uh, four fouls at the time, that should have been the, the stretch where the Lakers were able to cut into this. But the difference with this Bucks team compared to some of the other teams, some of the other really good teams around the league is the fact that they plug in these guys off the bench and, and they are able to, yeah, they're able to score, but defensively, they're just so solid. And, and you already touched on, on obviously what Brook Lopez was able to do defensively, but, uh, you know, Ersan Uisova played a key role in, in those moments. George Hill, we know, had a monster night um, scoring the ball, but defensively as well. They're just so well organized right through the sort of 13, 14 guys that even against these, these best teams, uh, they're able to withstand a stretch like that. And that should have been uh, the moment where the Lakers were able to take control. And while uh, I was watching on TV and, and uh, Reggie Miller, I didn't, I didn't know what he was watching, but constantly through the game, he was like, well, it's back to 12 points now. And he kept on like trying to say that the Lakers were really fighting back and making this big move. But he was saying they've got it back to 12 points for five minutes straight. I mean, the Bucks were able to just tread water in, that, in those moments and keep... Uh, and keep that uh, comfortable margin. And in the end, that was enough to get Giannis back on and he was able to finish. Well, and, you know, just think about that stretch in the third quarter where Giannis is on the bench, Chris is on the bench, Bledsoe's injured and not playing. And the yeah. lineup they had on the floor where it was, it was basically Brooke and George Hill was all of your offense. I know Dante was out there. But just thinking, this is what they're throwing out there against the Lakers, the 24-4 the, the and four Lakers and LeBron James. This is what they're throwing out there, and they're able to tread water. Yeah, and, and again, this is, you know, if you want to compare uh, the Lakers to other teams, this is why when I was uh, asked, you know, preseason, and, and a few people were kind of surprised by this, I think, when I was asked who I thought were a more dangerous team out of the Clippers or Lakers, for mine, it was without hesitation the Clippers, because, yes, either the thought of playing either team is kind of scary in the finals anyway because they're both really good and the Lakers have Davis and LeBron. So they're clearly a threat and, and that wouldn't be an easy series by any stretch of the imagination. But if you lose Chris Milton, let's just say the, the Bucks have to go through a stretch of uh, an extended stretch in a game without their three best players in Bledsoe, Milton and, and Giannis. I'm not sure you get away with that against the Clippers because they do have a deeper roster. They have more scoring options and they can hurt you in different ways. For the, the, the Lakers, it just seemed like the Bucs were able to say, all right, we're going to shut up shot in the paint and we're going to slow you down. And yes, again, as we sort of mentioned a couple of times, Davis did get to the free throw line a little bit there. He had 11 points in the third quarter, but I don't know. They seemed a little, little bit easy to defend for the way this Bucs team uh, is built.
Today's podcast is also brought to you by Breaking Tea. If you're looking for a last minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around team's passionate moments. Great for all fans, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. When you talk about foul trouble, I do want to talk about Chris Milton a little bit here because... You know, he came up with a couple of big shots. I thought he had a nice stretch in the second quarter where he seemed to get going offensively. And then obviously he hit a big three in the fourth. He finishes with 15 points, uh, six rebounds, five or 10 from the field, two or five from three. So the, the shooting's fine. He also hit a couple of free throws uh, late in the game, which were, you know, just helped to, to seal this game. But late in the second quarter, he, he gathered a rebound and George Hill called for the ball. And Chris Milton sort of waved off George Hill and tried to bring the ball up the floor. He was guarded by Danny Green. And he eventually, it was a foul. It was an offensive foul. He shoved Danny Green out of the way, picked up his third foul just before halftime. And it was a frustrating decision from him, I thought, in the, in the context of the game. And yes, this is only December. And, and yeah, ultimately, they got the win and, and whatever. It's a regular season game. But those are the types of mistakes. We've spoke a lot about Giannis in the past, about silly fouls that he picks up. But for mine, that was just a, it was a terrible decision from Chris to, to wave off George Hill, first of all, when you've got Danny Green right in, in your face. It just it seemed like the type of decision that can cost you a win. And the Bucs got away with it tonight. But you, you, don't, you just don't want that type of thing to happen in the playoffs. Well, and I remember that uh, vividly, too, because I don't remember if it was the previous possession or a few possessions before he did the same thing to Danny green and there was a no yeah. call. And yeah. I remember thinking he's, you can't keep doing that. He's going to get called for an offensive foul on that. And then it came in that big stretch, but we, we've seen that a couple of times from him too. It feels like, especially during that 15 game or 18 game win streak, there was a couple of those that, that stand out. And I remember even against the Clippers now, granted they won big, but um, we've seen instances like that where Chris I don't, just wants to take over and you see that or um, dribbling the ball. Like Danny Green nearly come away with a steal on him in the game tonight. And we saw the same thing against Kawhi in that Clippers game where there's still those plays, what, 5 to 10% of the time that drive you crazy. Yeah, and, and we've spent a bit of time talking about how in control he's been since coming back from the injury, and he's been absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, obviously had a down night against uh, Dallas, which was really his only bad game he's played since he's come back, and, and uh, you can't think of too many times where Chris Milton has had a really bad game, and I don't think tonight qualifies. I mean, uh, there were bigger performers, performers than him, and maybe out the gate in the first quarter you would like him to play better, but I will point at Giannis and LeBron and AD in the first quarter as well because uh, outside of George Hill everyone seemed to be sort of finding their feet in this one to start but yeah that's the type of decision as I said um, you know in in the grand scheme of things if it's just one foul early in the game whatever you're like okay fine but in that moment when you know that you've already got two fouls and you know how important you are to the team uh, yeah that's just the one you'd like to see him cut out and it was his only turnover on the night so again uh, he's he's taking care of the ball and doing a, a pretty good job of that and came up with some some valuable points in the fourth quarter when the Bucks really needed it. But I just thought it was worth pointing out because uh, at the time, this was clearly still a, a ball game. And when he sits down and Giannis quickly follows, you think, wow, is that something that you're going to look back on? Because 
while the Bucks were able to ride sort of Brook Lopez through that stretch in the third, you would have loved to have Chris Middleton out there and say, okay, just keep the scoreboard ticking over uh, while we're while we're trying to ride out this stretch uh, without uh, Giannis there. So, yeah, that was there wasn't too many negatives. I'll say that. So that maybe maybe that was a, a small negative, but I think we should also because you mentioned Eric Bledsoe out. It's worth talking about Dante Divincenzo tonight. Again, uh, just two for seven from the field, and he continues to just lack that finishing touch once he gets into the paint, and some of his shots are a little bit wild, and you'd like to see that improve. But again, as I keep pointing out, this is a guy that's only played, what, 55 NBA games at this point, somewhere around there. So uh, (laughs) he's essentially, with games played, got the experience level of a rookie at this point, and he's having the impact level of a guy that's been in the league far, far longer than that. So scoring wasn't the biggest night for Dante, only five points, but he picks up six rebounds, uh, six assists, a couple of steals. In a big-time game like this, I couldn't help but think to myself watching him and some of the plays he was playing, uh, making. I don't really feel nervous at all about playing DiVincenzo in big moments. And it feels kind of weird to say that because I'm not sure I would have said that prior to the season starting. But as I was watching tonight, he did some things where I was just like, huh, that was a pretty smart play. That was, he doesn't seem like he's nervous out there. And then you think back to what he did in that, in that championship game and back in the, in the tournament. This guy doesn't have any problems with playing in big games. He seems like he, he really enjoys that moment. No, and you almost, it's, it's like you don't notice him, which yeah. is, you know, you can say, well, it's not good, but it's not bad either. That what you notice is he's the guy, like, the defense and just how it's constructed where you have Brooke back there to basically clean everything up. You have Wesley Matthews and what he has done uh, and Eric Bledsoe and what he has done where Dante is the guy that takes risks and just reads the passing lanes and comes away with the steals that he's much different than the other uh, ones that we mentioned that are more assignment. Sure. And Dante is the guy that's just out there. You know what? I think can get the steal and play in the passing lanes. Um, it's funny with him and with DJ Wilson, too, in that everything we thought we knew about them from their collegiate days has turned out to be the opposite, where with DJ it was he can't rebound and he can't defend. And with Dante, it was the guy that scored a lot in the national championship game. And I remember you and I talking about this last year where he did everything but score, essentially, <laughs> when he was on the floor. Uh, this year you can see the confidence is at a new level, and he's out there hunting for shots when he's on the floor. But I think what's encouraging is even with that and on nights when he's not scoring as much and, you know, five points tonight, like he pointed to, he's still doing those other things that it hasn't just shifted to, okay, I need to be a bigger focal point of the offense now and get my points. When the shot isn't falling, he's still the six rebounds and six assists tonight. And Monday against the Mavs, I think he had 10 rebounds and nine assists. And that's been the typical stat line for him. Yeah, it's interesting because when I when I watch Dante, like even now, I still don't look at him in the half court as a playmaker necessarily. I, I think it's something that will probably develop. But I tell you what, anytime he gets the ball in transition, I feel very comfortable when he has the ball in his hands. Uh, not necessarily as someone that's going to score, but that he'll make the right decision passing the ball. We've had this conversation a lot over the last couple of seasons with uh, other particular guys on the roster or may or may not be still on the roster that wouldn't exactly make the smartest decision passing the ball in transition. But uh, Dante, and, and with Giannis in particular, we've seen it. The connection that they're building, the chemistry they seem to have 
uh, out there is someone we had a, I went through a bunch of suggestions um, for their name that, or their name together for that tandem that we had on Twitter. Uh, I think, uh, would it be a Greek, Greek pasta or Greek ragu or something like that? I don't know. There was about 15 names that came through, but I, th- I do think we need something because you're right. Nine assists and now six assists tonight. Um, you know, for someone that isn't your traditional point guard and not necessarily someone uh, you feel 100% comfortable in right now in the, in the half court, he just keeps racking up these assists and he seems to just make smart decisions. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have any issues with him. And I, you know, I think we talked about this too with, uh, with the injury to Eric Bledsoe, you kind of got the sense that this is what they were going to do because we know how much Bud loves George Hill in that spot leading the second unit and he's thrived in it. So why mix that up? But also uh, some of the things that Eric Bledsoe does offensively, Dante's probably the only other guy you have on the roster that you could somewhat replicate that with uh, in terms of his ability to just play on the attack and get to the lane or get into the lane and get to the basket. He's the closest guy you have to, to, to really replicate that. So it's, it's made sense. And, you know, I, I just think what we're seeing now from him is games like tonight, games like some of the other big games that they've had that he's been a part of this season are you just look for Dante to have more minutes in those games because the postseason is where it really matters. And to just get more of these reps, some of the things we called for last year with DJ Wilson especially, Dante is at least getting those now, and you have to believe that's going to pay off big time in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's just it is really incredible to to think back to the to the start of the season, even the first few games where there was so many calls for Dante to play, and it was really that game in Orlando that uh, he he hasn't looked back since. He's been in the rotation ever since that game, uh, and much the same as Sterling Brown, who isn't quite having the same dramatic sort of a visible impact on the game uh, as Dante to this point. But as you pointed at the start of the the podcast here. Sterling Brown had a big role tonight uh, on LeBron. And we're seeing that more and more from him. And I think the big thing that we're taking from everything we've seen against uh, both the Clippers now and the Lakers, uh, and I expect the Sixers, is that Bud is going to say, yeah, okay, we, we, we trust these guys, uh, not necessarily Middleton, not necessarily Giannis, uh, to defend uh, the, the key wings uh, from the opposition team, whether it is Kawhi, whether it is Paul George or uh, LeBron. And we're going we're gonna to help. And if they get past you and they get into the paint, then they're going to have to deal with Brook Lopez and Giannis. And in many respects, this is a lot of what we saw used against Giannis, against the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals, where there wasn't so much one guy that got the job done. It was the team, but the person with the, with the primary role uh, has to be able to stand their ground. And we've seen that with Wes and, and Sterling tonight and through the season. So... I think that's the biggest positive for mine. Like easily you can look at Giannis and, and I put the numbers up on Twitter, but he's shooting, shooting over 36% from three now since the beginning of November uh, on 5.5 attempts per game. So, I mean, we're really getting to the point where Giannis is just a three-point shooter. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much longer we need to, the, or how much uh, larger the sample size needs to be before we feel 100% confident in that. But that was a big takeaway from tonight. But the other thing is, We've seen multiple big games now. Wes Matthews has proven that he's starting to be a guy that you can really rely on. DiVincenzo keeps on developing. George Hill is still just playing out of his mind and, and just such a vital guy that the Bucks brought back to this team. And then the other bench guys, you talk about Sterling and Pat and Ersan, 
uh, they keep playing their role as well. So this Bucks team's deep, and we've seen that. Two out of two games against these LA teams, that's been the difference. Well, and, I, you know, we, we didn't mention – I thought it was a I thought it was a really good game for Coach Bud, too, and just the way that he used – Yeah, the, I mean, he the had rotation. some challenges. Yeah, the, he used the rotation and the bench guys said, I know uh, they played, what, 11 guys? But really, I mean, it was the starting five and George Hill all played around 30 minutes, and then he just kind of rotated through Sterling and uh, Ursan, and we saw Pat Connaughton, but not enough. And I think you know, tonight was one of those games that it, it's not really an ideal Pat situation in terms of who he's going to be out there against uh, for the Lakers. And I thought Bud was pretty cognizant of that. And even with the usage of Ursan Ilyasova, that he seemed to always know when to go to these guys. And even something as simple as syncing up Wes Matthews with LeBron. And every time LeBron entered, here comes Wesley. When LeBron's off, let's give Wes a rest. Uh, I thought it was a great game for him. Maybe one of the best coaching jobs he's done this season. Yeah, no, no question. And I do think, again, that these bigger teams uh, certainly – if you're a bigger team that doesn't necessarily do a lot of damage with your guard play, then you're playing right into the hands of this Bucks team. Uh, pointed to that being the case, I feel, with the Sixers as well. But it's nice to get that sort of confirmation. You can think that and you say, okay, yeah, I think you know, on paper uh, this is a nice matchup for the Bucks. But uh, I think we saw that tonight. And again, it is only December. These two teams will play again uh, in March and then maybe, maybe they'll have a series in, in June as well. But it was certainly... A positive response from the Bucks after not a great offensive night uh, against the Mavericks, losing their first game in a hell of a long time. That was uh, that were, you couldn't have had much more of an emphatic response than that to to bounce back against the Lakers. And now uh, they got the best record in the league, twenty five and four. Is not too bad. Yeah, and, and there's some big games on the horizon too. Which you know, for for as much as this game was potentially a statement game, and you think about the national audience. There's no Thursday night football this week. Some of the hype that it was starting to get with the two teams records uh, to come out and do this on that stage is big. But I, you know, I thought all along the game on Christmas day is the bigger one and the biggest one. And the one that they have probably circled too. they will never tell you this, but for all the talk in the off season of bucks and Sixers, and really the majority of people saying, well, it's the Philadelphia 76ers that that's one of those spots where we've already touched on Giannis in games like tonight, but this whole team really wanting to send a message of, uh, no, it's, it's the, it's Milwaukee that the Eastern conference runs through. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you talk about statements. I think the Bucks have made a a couple of uh, decent sized statements here in the month of December with the Clippers and Lakers. Both of those wins were at home and, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much this plays into it, but you do have to note the fact that uh, the Lakers were on the end of a very long road trip uh, tonight. I mean, it's at least worth uh, noting there, but uh, you're right. I mean, if the Bucks go out there on Christmas Day, uh, a week after they beat the Lakers at home, they go on the road uh, and, and beat the Sixers, uh, people are really going to be uh, starting to take note. And a lot of the stuff I'm seeing and reading and hearing, uh, people are anointing the Bucks the, the champions of the East already. So if they go in and, and land a big blow to the Sixers on Christmas, then, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the, the hype for the Bucks uh, to get out of the East is going to go into overdrive. But they did beat the Lakers 111-104 tonight. You, we've, we've spoke about that Sixers game a little bit, but they do have the Knicks over the weekend. And then uh, they got the Pacers before they get to the Sixers. So that's going to be another big game. Uh, I think a lot of... Uh, the listeners here would have seen uh, the Pacers beat the Lakers a couple of nights ago. They didn't have 
Anthony Davis, but it's still a big win for the Pacers, who are just playing uh, really well at the moment with uh, both uh, Brogdon and Sabonis as well, uh, having a really big season. So that'll be a big game to watch as well. But uh, thankfully, this is the second time I've got you on post-game at the arena, and we're two for two, you not getting uh, thrown out. So this, is, this has been a positive experience. Yeah, it's going to happen one of these times, I feel like, but so far, so good. It'll be good. It'll be good for the listeners to, to go through that. It'll be, uh, it'll be a talking point. So we will leave it there. Justin, thanks again for uh, hanging back on what was a, a pretty fun night. I mean, you talk about regular season games. I don't know if I can remember sort of anticipating a regular season game as much as this one uh, at any point since I've been watching the Bucs. They just haven't been in, in this position with the league's best record. So uh, 25-4, and four, as I said, they beat the Lakers 111-104. And now... We'll head to New York to take on the Knicks, but we will leave it there for Justin Garcia and myself, Kane Pittman. We'll speak to you guys next time.